Hello, and welcome to episode two of Sailor's Disgrace. Staying true to form, I'd like to start with a quote. This one is from Max Ehrman from the Desiderata, which is an excellent poem I recommend reading. But this quote is, You are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. For me, in my experience joining the Coast Guard, I was set out on a path that I did not know where it was going to lead me. I did not know what was going to happen. But I started off going to boot camp in July of 2003. I'm sure my boot camp experience is pretty much like everyone else's. You get your head shaved and you learn to march, you learn to take orders, you learn how to do push-ups and sit-ups and running and learn how to shoot a gun and all that stuff. You do that for about eight weeks. They pump you full of Coast Guard rhetoric and you know, esprit de corps, the core values, honor, respect, devotion to duty. You live and breathe that for eight weeks and you come out a different person. And the one thing I will say about boot camp as well is I was taught by my brother and my father before I joined to not say anything in boot camp, to stay quiet, to not volunteer. And I believe that is good advice for boot camp because being a wallflower means you go unnoticed and you get through it at the end, you graduate and you go off and you do your work, you go to your first assignment and uh, you live your life after that. But the thing is that that rhetoric, that of being quiet, not volunteering, not speaking up for yourself, is actually quite toxic and plays into a lot of what happened to me and how I treated myself and how I was allowed to be treated by others um, because of that philosophy. But uh, with boot camp, I knew prior to joining that I wanted to be at the 11th Coast Guard District, which is California, and I was guaranteed that. And towards the end of graduation from boot camp, I was given orders to the Coast Guard Cutter Chase, which is a 378-foot cutter. We call our ships cutters if it's more than 65 feet in length, which is a throwback to the Revenue Cutter Service, which is our founding service. And anyway, I was off to San Diego, California to work on Naval Station there, uh, next alongside another 378-foot cutter, the Hamilton, and then a whole bunch of Navy ships. <laughs> a big fleet there. Any of our my fellow service members, I'm sure, are aware of how large that fleet is, especially in 2003 as Iraq was taking off. There was a lot of action, a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of things going on in San Diego. It was a very busy time. And uh, so I went to San Diego, and I reported I was nervous. I was scared. I was also excited. I was very excited to be there. I knew I was starting a new life, whether that was going to be just a few years in the Coast Guard and getting out to pursue school, or if I was going to make a career of it, I did not know which way it would take me. And I did not know anything that was going to happen to me. I was ready, though. I was very ready to go. And I was, like I said, I was excited. Boot camp got me amped up to be in the Coast Guard, and I was so humbled and proud and, and just ready to go. So I get there, and... I remember my very first day on the cutter, and you're assigned a sponsor when you first get to a unit. My sponsor was a fellow seaman, another non-rate, you know, E3, and he was showing me around the cutter, basically showing me where I was going to sleep and 
where my locker was and where to report in the morning and basically just being told what to do. I was able to take all of that. But as I was walking along and being introduced to my shipmates, there was one person, another non-rate, another decky, who was in the bosun hold, which is the forward part of the cutter. And that's where the deck personnel meet to discuss the day's work and it's where all of our tools and equipment and things like that are. So a lot of a lot of things happen in there, but one of the other non-rates was sitting in the tool area, and my sponsor, as he walked me through, pointed to him and said, you see that guy? That's Needham. And what I didn't know is that Needham was being discharged from the service. Uh, he had a lot of mental issues, a lot of physical issues apparently as well, but he did not want to be in the service anymore and he had a really hard time on the cutter and his ticket out was by saying that he was going to commit suicide if he did not get out so it's not an immediate thing it takes a little time to process the paperwork and get them get a person medically ready for discharge but he was in that process and at any rate the person i was with pointed to him and said you see that motherfucker that piece of shit can't handle the coast guard he says he's going to kill himself because he's a fucking pussy don't be like him. And that was my first introduction on the cutter to what cutter life was really going to be like. It was shut up and do as you're told. Do not speak out for yourself. Don't even think about being weak. Because if you are, you're going to be railroaded. You're going to be treated like garbage. And you're going to lose your job. And you're going to lose your career. You're going to lose college benefits. You're going to lose it all if you speak out. You're going to be just like that guy. And that terrified me. I mean, I, I kind of laughed, I think, at the time, because I was 19 years old. And it just was part of the culture. That was, that was exactly the culture on board the chase at the time. And I'm sure throughout the Coast Guard, as I've learned uh, from other shipmates, this is very common. This is very old-school military. And again, this is 2003, and a lot has changed since then, I believe. But at the time, that was very much the standard. So again, that was my introduction. And um, after that, I was shown my barracks room where I was roomed up with another person. And it's two persons to a room and two rooms shared a head, which is um, shower and um, toilet. And our barracks on the base in San Diego, we shared it with the Navy. We also shared it with the other Coast Guard cutter, the Hamilton. It was a 12-story building, and the first 11 floors were all Navy. The top floor was Coast Guard. So we had our own room. Uh, it was right next to the driving range, the golf driving range, if anybody's familiar with it, on the dry side of uh, 32nd Street. And that was my room. That was my life. And I immediately was indoctrinated into what life meant in the barracks. And it was not pretty. It was pretty much what you might expect. Very much a frat house feel, uh, a lot of drinking, a lot of partying, and actually there were a lot of drugs being consumed too and used and abused by not just Coast Guard, but a lot of the Navy. It was very common to come home or come back to the barracks after working all day or you're tired and sweaty and you just want to take a shower and pass out, but they would have a drug search underway and you couldn't enter the building for hours while they had drug dogs going through and busting people for meth or God knows what else. They found all sorts of stuff in that building. And uh, 
that was very common. It was just the way it was. You know, you worked hard, played hard, and a lot of people did that. And you lived in it 24-7, and especially as a non-rate. You didn't have means to leave the base or you know, live anywhere else. You didn't have money to do that. So you're constantly surrounded by this, this uh, environment. And uh, some people got really wrapped up into it. And uh, as a point, um, one of my shipmates at the time was a seaman. He eventually made SK-3 which is a storekeeper third class, but uh, this is Seaman Lee at the time, Holman Lee, he was really into that as well. He was uh, a local kid from San Diego, and after boot camp, he went on to the chase and became a seaman, worked with me, and he was a drug addict. He was actually into methamphetamines, and a lot of us knew it. A lot of us would cover for him, and it's just something that you did for your shipmates. You know, you don't want to rat people out or get them in trouble, or maybe get yourself in trouble because you knew something was going on, but everyone just let it happen. And as things got worse for him, of course, eventually he got busted, uh, was discharged from the Coast Guard, and stayed in the area. And he got even further to that rabbit hole, unfortunately, um, and I'll post a link to the article here, but he wound up in a standoff with the police, uh, he and his girlfriend, and he killed a police officer, and then he killed his girlfriend and killed himself. And when I first heard that news in 2010, it really devastated me. It brought me back to a lot of what was going on at that time in the Coast Guard and on the chase, and made me feel like, what if one of us had spoken out? What if one of us had tried to help him and not just gone along with everything. But we can't live in the past like that. We can't blame ourselves for something we never did or didn't try. And it's just an example of how bad things were uh, amongst the crew. And uh, not all of it was bad, though. I made some very great lifelong friends that I still speak to to this day. And just like I was in middle school and high school, I was... I was liked, I think. I was affable with the crew, but I made a core group of very close friends. You know, just three or four of them. And those are the people I still talk to to this day. So I'm very grateful to have them in my life. And, um, and I hope to interview at least a few of them for this podcast in the near future. But going along with that culture, that, that culture of drinking and partying and, and silence and retribution, we, it was very prevalent. It was just constant. You know, even though we were underage, we could drink in the barracks. It was very easy to get our hands on alcohol. Or we'd just go to Tijuana. You know, you hop on the trolley and it was right off the base and it'd drop you off at the border and off you went, you know. So it was like that for some time. You know, just partying and working, partying and working, partying and working. And eventually I picked a job, a rating that I wanted, and I was going to be an informations technician, which is basically a computer, computer tech, software all that stuff. Not that I was interested so much in it as it was just a, we, a uh, means to an end where I could learn that in the Coast Guard and then when I got out of the Coast Guard I could get a job, you know, because the technology industry is always hiring, there's always work of some sort, so it was a safe bet for me. So on my last week on the cutter, uh, not that we needed an excuse to drink, but everyone threw me a farewell party in the barracks, and we got plastered. We got completely drunk, blackout drunk, a whole bunch of us, and 
a pretty stupid, true-to-form thing that young kids do. We got reckless, and we actually destroyed part of the barracks. We ran down the hallway, breaking ceiling tiles and putting out cigarette butts in the carpet, all this stupid stuff. And long story short, we got busted. Uh, I was masted. For those that aren't familiar, that means I had non-judicial punishment under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, where I had to stand in front of the captain of the cutter and dole out my punishment, which was, I think, two weeks forfeiture of pay or a few hundred dollars, uh, which at that time was two weeks of pay. Uh, I had to do extra military duty, meaning I had to clean up the barracks and stand extra watch on my cutter. And the most important thing is I lost my orders to school, so I was stuck on the cutter for a longer period of time. And looking back on that, it was one of the things that made me a target. It was, again, this young kid, 19, almost 20 years old at this point, you're in trouble on the cutter. You're in the crowd of everyone partying and drinking. And if I get caught again, or if anything bad happens to me again, within six months of my mast, of my uh, punishment, I'll be dis discharged from the service. And I knew that, and everyone knows that. And with that open knowledge of what happened and why I was in trouble, why I didn't leave, why I didn't go to school and I'm still on the cutter. It's a breeding ground. It's, it's a signal to those people that, that this is an easy target. That this person will put up with anything and most likely will not get a perpetrator in trouble and will cover it up at all costs. So with that, again, it's uh, very difficult to put all of it into words and to summarize, but the atmosphere throughout the Coast Guard at the time, and I think the military in general, was very hard. It was a very difficult life. It was scary. You know, there were things that we were doing that were going into a new war, and you know, we're losing people left and right, and, you know, it's just a very frightening time. And on top of that, you have all these young kids, 18, 19, 20 years old, volunteering to go to war, essentially. And they're put under a lot of stress and they're put under a lot of difficult situations. And sometimes alcohol is the easy way out. It's the way to suppress all that. It's the way to manage that. And it's the popular thing to do. It's the way you socialize. But it's a breeding ground. It's a breeding ground for havoc. And that's what we will get into on the next episode. So again, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. Uh, as always, if you want to share this, please feel free to share it. If you have any questions or comments or any ideas for content or anything else that we can add to this podcast, I'm all ears. So please send messages through Spotify or Instagram or on our Facebook group. Again, thank you so much for listening, and I will get back to you very soon. Have a good day.
this morning. 